Blog Talk Radio. Hi, this is Stephen Nill, CEO of CharityChannel.com. So, you want your charity to succeed. You came to the right place. Integration of online and offline techniques is the key to your successful fundraising, and practical advice on going green is what you need. With this show, The Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart, you will learn from experts around the world who provide advice you can use. Our host is Ted Hart, one of the foremost nonprofit thought leaders. This year, he is celebrating 25 years in the nonprofit sector and the 10-year anniversary of his firm, TedHart.com. His books range from successful online fundraising to the use of social media and how to make your nonprofit green. His guests are leaders in their field who will share tips and trade secrets for nonprofit management, green strategy, and fundraising success. Ted lectures around the world, but now he's here for you. From the latest in charity news, technology, fundraising, and social networking, here's Ted. And good afternoon. This is Ted Hart, and you are here on the Nonprofit Coach. Uh, thank you so much, Steve, for that wonderful introduction. We are back from the holiday season. I hope everybody had wonderful holidays. I certainly did. It's great to be back here on the show, and we've got a fantastic show today. Uh, things you can win and uh, a terrific expert today on page two uh, for you to get a chance to ask questions of. As always, remember, you can call in to 347-324-3080 to ask questions when we get to page two. You can also ask questions over in the chat room or email me at tedhart at tedhart.com. Now, new uh, for this year uh, is uh, the opportunity to also ask questions if you would like uh, by you, by sending a tweet and using the hashtag TedHeartRadio. So, uh, as always, here on the show, we start with page one. <laughs> Now, over here on page one, as always, you can follow along on the radio links at tedhartradio.com. And first up, we're going to uh, actually follow uh, a story that we were sharing with you several times uh, over the last few months, and that is the Mashable Awards. And the nonprofit sector actually was recognized very well in uh, the 2010 Mashable Awards. Uh, You can go over and follow the link today. Uh, and uh, learn all about the must-follow nonprofit. Uh, also, the most promising company, uh, which is psgive.org, which services the nonprofit sector. And you'll also learn over in the Mashable Awards that the most influential social good champion, which was sponsored by Yahoo this day, uh, this year, is John Cena. Uh, so you can read all about that over in the radio links at tedhartradio.com. Now, don't forget you can join us uh, over in the chat room. You can also send us a tweet uh, today and just include uh, in your tweet uh, the hashtag, uh, hashtag tedhartradio. Uh, radio. Uh, next up here on the nonprofit coach is I, I'm really happy to see that this is out here because it's so easy uh, to follow. You'll see over in the radio links um, a uh, very easy to follow, and this comes to us uh, from the uh, uh, terrific folks over over at uh, social uh, media, and what they are providing to us is the 30-second SEO. So you'll find that at social media uh, today, and you'll find 30-second SEO tutorial. And since it's a 30-second uh, and uh, is brought to us by uh, Nicola Ziotti, um, what I'm going to do is just share with you uh, some of the things that are important if you're looking at SEO, and all of us know that's search engine optimization. This is a, a short and simple guide to search engine optimization, Uh, follow these quick tips and get on the road to ranking higher for your website or your blog. Now, find related keywords. Make a list of keywords relevant uh, to your specialty or your website theme, whatever your organization may be. Choose words that will attract people and carry out your business objectives. So think very broadly. Don't just think about uh, the obvious. 
add the keywords to your page title. Your page title is the most important aspect of your website. Search engines evaluate your title to determine what is on the web page. Add your keywords to the title page. Now, if you don't know how to do this yourself, talk to your web designer, uh, or you can get in touch with us at tedhart at tedhart.com. Add the keywords to your URL. Choosing a URL is important. Search engines uh, view the text in your URL uh, to understand the web page. Use your keyword in your URL. For instance, you might be xyz.org forward slash children forward slash uh, environment or health or something of that sort. So make sure that you're using the keywords that you've chosen uh, in the navigation of your site and that those are showing up in your URLs. Add the keywords into the metadata. Gather up your keywords and add them into your page description. The blurb should be easy to read and short. Number five in the 30-second SEO tutorial today is add the keywords into your H1 text. The H1 text is usually found at the top of your web page. Now, again, we're not expecting you to be a web uh, uh, expert or a web designer, but these are tips that you can find over at tedhartradio.com, and these are tips that you can bring to your web designer and start asking questions about how is your design optimizing uh, your positioning in search engines. So again, uh, search, engine review, search engines review the H1 text and add importance to your H1 text words. Now use the keywords in your page content. Try to fit the keywords organically into the text of your page to notify search engines that the content is actually relevant to the theme. Now that number six here is not going to be very difficult for you because if you're choosing good keywords that are actually going to drive traffic, I can't imagine that you're not uh, having some text on your website that is related to those keywords. And then monitor your results. Check Google and other search engines uh, to test your rank and to see uh, if your search engine optimization is working. So again, very easy 30-second SEO. You're now an SEO expert, and that comes to us today uh, from social media today. Now again, this is a very, very special show today. Uh, for those of you who are followers of greennonprofits.org, uh, what you uh, know and are aware of is today is the day uh, that we uh, kick off and start uh, Word on Green 2011. Uh, so 2011 is a green year for us with green nonprofits as the support mechanism for nonprofit organizations. So for all of you who are may not be familiar, we want to invite you to go to greennonprofits.org. And the, uh, the uh, readers and listeners uh, uh, for, from Green Nonprofits have the opportunity today to win a copy of the new book, The Nonprofit Guide to Going Green. This is a fantastic book that I co-authored uh, with a number of different authors, and my co-editors are Adrian Capps and Matt Bauer. So you don't want to miss the opportunity to uh, win The Nonprofit Guide to Going Green, and I'm going to share with you in just a few moments how all all of our listeners can win uh, a copy of the Nonprofit Guide uh, to Going Green. Don't forget, you can call in today at 347-324-3080 and ask questions of our page to expert. Uh, now, I've got uh, a little bit of uh, uh, theme music here. Let me just find... Uh, uh, some uh, some music here uh, to uh, well we're just going to use our regular uh, music here to uh, bring in a very special guest here onto page one of the nonprofit coach. <laughs> Now Susan McDermott, you are here with us live on the nonprofit coach. How are you? Hello, Susan. Well, I'm not uh, not hearing Susan. Hopefully, uh, uh, she'll be with us here on the nonprofit coach. She does have a big announcement, and I was hoping to surprise her today uh, with the theme music that we have picked out for the AFP Wiley uh, series here on the nonprofit coach. Susan, are you here with us? 
right, well, we'll come back and try to uh, uh, get Susan McDermott here on the show. She does have a special announcement, and I do want to give her an opportunity uh, to make that announcement. As all of you know, we kicked off the new AFP Wiley series last month with the very special guest, Kay Sprinkle Grace, and I am very pleased uh, to share with all of you that Kay Sprinkle Grace's show has had the all-time high for the number of podcast downloads from the nonprofit coach. So uh, hundreds and hundreds of people around the world have downloaded that podcast. It is absolute record, uh, and we are very pleased that the AFP Wiley radio show is off to a great start. And that will always be uh, the third Tuesday of each month. Uh, we will have our very special guest uh, here on the nonprofit coach. So, uh, again, I'm not uh, – Susan, are you with us? Well, I'm not quite sure where Susan is, so in a moment I will steal her thunder and I will share with you uh, who will be the January AFP Wiley radio show guest uh, for our new series. Back here on uh, page one, uh, I do want to uh, share with you just a reminder of the wonderful work that is being done by the Pepsi Refresh Project. And just to remind ourselves, uh, I'm going to share with you a little clip uh, from the Pepsi Refresh Project uh, so that you can bring yourself up to date and consider this for your organization. Welcome to the Pepsi Refresh Project. This year, we're giving millions to fund ideas that will refresh the world. Your ideas, voted on by the public. Here's how it works. Submit your ideas at RefreshEverything.com for a chance to win a Pepsi Refresh brand. Ideas can be submitted in six categories. Health and fitness, arts and culture, neighborhoods, the planet, education, food and shelter. Vote for ideas you care about at RefreshEverything.com and help them become a reality. Everyone can vote for up to 10 ideas each day. Help promote good ideas using our Facebook and Twitter tools. The ideas with the most votes will receive a Pepsi refresh grant to make them happen. So could a soda really make the world a better place? With your help, it will. What do you care about? Join the Pepsi Refresh Project. Thousands of ideas, millions in grants. Every Pepsi refreshes the world. Now, this is just a wonderful project that continues to give away a lot of money. Uh, the finalists for the next round of voting will be announced on February 1st. The funding that is available is $1.3 million dollars so bravo uh, to our friends over at pepsi for continuing uh, this very uh, impressive program in support of the nonprofit sector uh, back up here on uh, page one is i also want to uh, draw your attention uh, to uh, the uh, wonderful work uh, that is uh, being done by all of the organizations that were nominated uh, for the Mashable Awards uh, this year. Um, and again, as I said when I started the show today, uh, I do want to draw your attention uh, to the work of those that were honored. Now, next up here on the Nonprofit Coach is just a question. What will you be doing for Social Media Week this month, this year? Social Media Week will be February 7th through the 11th. Uh, there will be uh, activities all over the world, including New York, London, San Francisco, Toronto, Sao Paulo, Paris and Rome. Uh, so uh, you still got a couple of weeks to consider how you're going to be celebrating uh, Social Media Week. And of course, uh, we will have our radio show during Social Media Week right on February 8th. And that will be a very special show uh, here in honor of uh, the uh, global Social Media Week. And with that, uh, we're uh, uh, up to the announcement. I'm not quite sure where Susan McDermott is. She's our good friend uh, from John Wiley and Sons. And so I'm going to steal her. Her thunder. She wanted to come on the show today and unfortunately didn't make it. I hope she didn't get caught in uh, maybe some weather. I know there's uh, some bad storms about to hit New York. Uh, and uh, so I'm going to share with you next week, the third Tuesday of January is AFP Wiley Radio Week, and our very special guest uh, next uh, Tuesday will be Jim Greenfield. Uh, Jim Greenfield is a sage in our industry. Uh, he has written many books, uh, and what he has to say about fundraising uh, is listened to by 
everybody who is smart and serious about fundraising. What's very interesting about uh, Jim is uh, while his background and his expertise is in traditional fundraising, uh, he has co-edited with me uh, several of my books, uh, and each of those books uh, are related to uh, fundraising online social media. And one of those books is the most recent book, and that is uh, Internet, uh, uh, Internet Management for Nonprofits, I'm sorry, uh, which is part of the AFP Wiley series. Uh, and I'm very, very pleased that Jim Greenfield will be joining us uh, here on uh, the Nonprofit Coach to talk about his full body of work, uh, not just uh, the, the most recent book uh, that, we have, uh, that we have written together. But our very special page two guest today uh, is also an author in this book, uh, uh, Chapter 15, uh, to be exact, in Internet Management for Nonprofits, uh, and is an author of some of his own books and co-editor of another book uh, with me. And so with that, uh, we're going to go directly to page two. Mike Johnson is the president and founder of Hewitt & Johnson Consultants. Mike is an expert in direct response fundraising, innovation, and integrated campaigning, most especially in the use of the web and new technology, along with integration to traditional direct response methods. He is author of two books, The Fundraiser's Guide to the Internet uh, and The Nonprofit Guide to the Internet. Uh, he's also worked with me, uh, and I'm very, very pleased that he is a contributor uh, to People to People Fundraising. Uh, in Internet Management for Nonprofits, as I mentioned, uh, and is a co-editor of uh, one of uh, my favorite books uh, that, uh, that we've written together, and that's a Nonprofit Internet Strategies, Best Practices for Marketing, Communications, and Fundraising. And here on the Nonprofit Coach is Mike Johnson. Welcome, Mike. Hi, Ted. How are you? I'm a bit exhausted reading all of uh, your background and expertise, but you are a multi-channel fundraising expert, and this is a very hot topic for all of our listeners, and how do we make all these tools work together? So I'm going to ask you to start off, uh, because you were one of my mentors very early on uh, when I came up with the idea of the ePhilanthropy Foundation and helping uh, nonprofits succeed online. You immediately uh, grabbed hold of that idea. You are the first uh, education chair uh, of the uh, eFlansby Foundation and certainly an international leader uh, in this sector. How is it that you became uh, an expert so early before almost anyone was looking to the Internet? I, I don't know. I, I think part of it was just uh, not, not being intimidated by new technology. Uh, and, and, and I think as a traditional fundraiser who started looking at new technologies, uh, thinking about the donor first. So so I, I, I've always been comfortable by having that donor focus as a way to uh, to be comfortable when new things come along, to, to think critically about how the Internet, for example, back in the 90s uh, would begin to be a tool for me around better donor stewardship uh, and, a, and a better relationship with donors by using multiple channels. So you know, by by starting with that donor focus, uh, I, I it just felt comfortable to look at all channels together. And and in taking a look at all of the the channels together, what were some of the early trends that you saw that really uh, brought success to uh, to charities? Because you you really were out of the gate pretty early. Yeah, I well, I I think the the website being a central hub for campaigns and for contact. So I, I think right from the beginning for organizations who understood it was a 24-7 shop that was open, uh, open for business, uh, for people to find out about the organization, uh, to connect on a campaign, I, I, I think that was key. It wasn't about e-commerce transactions clearly at the beginning, but to think that it was this uh, 24 hour, seven day a week, central place to connect other channels. Uh, I, I, I think that was the place where it began and uh, where it proved successful. Since then, we've added 
you know, sophistication and CRM and, and uh, EMS systems that are highly personalized and integrating multiple channels and solicitation. But at the beginning, it was, you know, uh, we're open all the time uh, kind of shop. Right, and, and, and what's interesting to me, and as you know, a, a theme of the nonprofit coach is making sure that charities have the basics in place, that they have access to the most accurate and up-to-date uh, information. Um, and so while there's a lot of cutting-edge things happening for the average charity, for the charity that's really either looking to expand and enhance the activities that they've had over the last couple of years, or those charities that really want to make 2011 the serious year for success online, where do they start? Again, it's about the donor. So they start by most organizations at low cost will be able to have online e-commerce functionality from the get-go. So, so I think I think we have tools that are almost too powerful for us now. So right at the base, every organization can afford to have the ability to take single gift, monthly gift, the ability to be able to take the information and get back electronically either through social media or through email and and build that relationship. It's Success will come by adding the other channels. So that means an organization, it has the foundation of technology, but it needs to you know, have the human resources, uh, it needs to have the culture, it needs to have the business rules, it needs to take a hammer, Ted, and knock down a few silos uh, and have different departments leveraged. Well, and, and, and Mike, power. you and I have, have uh, been around for a while. This is yep. uh, going to be my 11th year uh, working in this sector, and I know yep. that uh, you were uh, writing books before I started uh, on this uh, topic. Um, yep. And that is a constant theme. That was a theme uh, 11 years ago. It's a theme yep. now. Uh, is breaking down those silos and providing an opportunity for online fundraising and social media to flourish within an organization. Um, what are some of the tips that you've learned on how charities can make that happen? Because oftentimes in this setting, we're preaching to the choir. They get it. They understand it, but they have to work with people who don't. Yep. you, you got to persuade senior management. Right. So, so, so part, part of change or excellence or doing best practice that you're not doing now is only going to happen if the CEO, senior vice presidents, and board directors get it. They're educated, they're stimulated, uh, they're given the information and they're guided. Uh, and, and they get enthusiastic too and, and, and commit resources uh, and, and get on board to do this properly. So so that's, I know that might sound like uh, um you know, a, a simple solution, but but it's complicated politics. But s- senior leadership needs to even, and they probably don't like it, Ted. Right? They don't. They might not use it as much. They're not as comfortable. You know, they're older, but but they need to understand and commit to that. Because Ted, the the one thing I've noticed in a study that we've done recently uh, in Canada uh, with some partners, uh, both Convio and Strategic Communications, that that replicated uh, the cross generational study that was done in the U.S. Uh, it, it's pretty clear that that all age subsets who are donors use all channels together. So. It's not the fact that younger folks just use one particular channel or two. It's not the fact that older donors just use the mail, for example. They're they're all becoming omnivorous, uh, and and they use all channels. So, so I think getting that kind of information and those kind of studies to senior leadership to to I always call it Ted dramatic oversimplification. So how can we dramatically oversimplify uh, the need to do? Uh, cross-channel and integrated fundraising. And I think doing these kinds of studies uh, and showing on one piece of paper with a pretty graph the exact demographic and usage reasons why an organization needs to do this, um, it's starting to make a difference. It's taken a long time. What I share with with clients is one of the the first things to help your management get into their head is not the segmentation of ages and that, well, we're a serious organization, we do serious fundraising, so obviously the Internet isn't for us. Um, It's more about being relevant to your donors as to where they are right now. And the point that you just made, I think, is a very important one. And 
And it, a lot of charities almost want this to be either or. They want this to be the replacement of something. They that's, they that's want right. this to uh, kill direct mail because they don't want to do direct mail anymore, or it's it's going to replace things. And it doesn't. It's the integration of all of these tools that will really spell success. Absolutely. That it, again, it's standing in the donor's shoes. The donors, I, I'm sorry, donors don't think like the organizations who approach them, right? They they think they're busy in their lives, whether they're young or old or middle-aged. They use all of these channels together. A lot of giving is impulsive. Uh, more and more they want relevant information immediately. And so you have to have all those channels working together to, to satisfy all of those donors all, all the way along the age subsets. One of the things that I've uh, that I share in uh, in my lectures um, that seems to resonate with a lot of people is when I say it's time to make philanthropy human again, and it's almost as if over the last couple of decades we you know we fell into the strategy of tools and what the internet really demands and the reason why it's taken off in in, in my estimation I think you agree with this. Uh, is because it allows people to uh, make their philanthropy very personal. Absolutely. So you're not, you're not relevant. It's, you know, I was a part of it. I, I, it was my fault, your fault. I'll call it the Stalinist uh, era of mass marketing, right? Sort of uh, command and control tens of millions of pieces of mail and huge call volumes um, driving to, to an absolutely impersonal relationship, and and I think that's the great thing that the internet and, and it made and, it look like it worked because it was a volume. Uh, there were just so many names out there that money actually came in. But when you really peeled it back, can anyone say that that a two percent return on a prospect campaign in direct mail really is successful? Uh, when you really look you at know, the long term value, so much farther down. It, it's, it's a it's a question mark. Yeah, I mean, go much farther down, right? So, you know, $9 average gifts, um, you know, 0.5% response. Um, and, and so it, it, it's the different measures of success. And I, and I think integrated fundraising and, and really the online environment and, and the ability to get more information and the donor knows more and it wants to know more. Boy, I, I I think that just challenges the the way we've always looked at sort of traditional mass marketing, especially, which is just you know it's a race to the bottom, and and so I, I like to see that. I think traditional direct response donors now are more demanding, and and older ones because of new media, and and so we have to meet that demand, and and that that means cooperation within within organizations. Uh, breaking down those silos and figuring out sort of integrated relationship models uh, that give people more autonomy, more control, uh, give them their own marketing tools, um, let them be advocates for the organization. A lot of these are new things on a larger scale, right, that, that – Internet I think one of the most you. important things you just said, Mike, at least from, from my estimation, is uh, where – we really have as an industry uh, come out of an era where command and control was really what charities wanted. They wanted the money. They wanted to spend it the way they wanted to spend it. They wanted to control the, the donors uh, right up to the point where uh, many felt like they owned the donors to the point where they would even sell donor lists uh, because they were their donors. Uh, and, I, and I think that all of that is changing and that there is a dialogue and a hunger to support charities, but it has to be based on communication, not, not the, uh, the command and control model. Now, now to, to, to put something favorable from direct response traditionally into the online environment, I think the discipline of testing and the, the discipline of scheduling um, – is something that has transferred over and needs to transfer over more. So, so the uh, the operational excellence of of direct response fundraising traditionally is something that needs to be a part of online fundraising more often. So, the one place I think online giving is weak right now is still this. Uh, I, I think a rather lazy kind of application of business rules to let's just get emails out, let's not track these things properly, let's not test the best ways to to be most effective online. So that that's the one place I think 
you know, TM and DM has played an important role, just bringing all of that operational excellence over to online. Exactly. Mike, I just want to uh, share with our listeners that you can call in and ask a question of Mike Johnston, who's available to you here on page two of the Nonprofit Coach by dialing 347-324-3080. I do see a number of people in the switchboard right now, but you do need to press one to raise your hand to let me know that you'd like to ask a question. You also, there's a few folks over in the chat room. You can ask questions there. Uh, you can send us a tweet with the hashtag Ted Hart Radio. We'll pick it up there. And Mike, we do have uh, our first question that's been emailed, uh, emailed in to Ted Hart at tedhart.com. Uh, and this comes to you from Melissa in Chicago. And she says, uh, uh, guys, we've, we have a website. Uh, we have started to send out emails. We've got some early success. How do I build on that? Well, one is do more. <laughs> you know, tradition. If what you're doing is working, then it's understanding what's working. And, you know, success sometimes in fundraising is about uh, scalability. So what, what is it you're doing? How much are you spending? What's the return on that investment? And is it scalable? I mean, ha economies of scale, can you make that bigger? Um, so so I don't know what you're doing that's successful online, but but is it scalable? I mean, can you make it many times larger? And the other thing I would say is, you know, if you've been successful so far, what kind of success? My guess is it's building your email list, perhaps having people subscribe for more information, and, and last, making smaller gifts. So how do we get that new constituency online uh, to be more committed, whether that's uh, making a monthly gift as an upgrade to their support or uh, getting them inspired to make a middle or, or a larger gift. So, so, so using other channels may be the way to take that initial online success lower down the pyramid and move it up. And, and the other thing, again, to repeat is how do you scale that, what, what you've done? How do you make it many times larger? Mike, what, what, what about frequency? What, what's your, your advice uh, to our listeners in terms of how often should they be communicating um, and what about uh, that communication uh, working with integration of offline? Yeah. Well, I mean, we, we have seen studies that when it comes to email communication separate from solicitation, you know, that, that minimum month, once a month touch point, uh, seems to be statistically important um, that if you don't do it once a month, then you begin to get declines in both uh, size of the list with unsubscribes, and people tend not to open it in this high a number. So, th the minimum consistency of once a month, uh, and and then how do you coordinate that with with offline uh, newsletters? Uh, that the whole other matter. But so minimum once a month frequency seems to be a statistical. Uh, important point, but I mean, Ted, you know that too, but as often as you can passionately and knowledgeably get out to your donors, you should be out there. So that might mean you're doing many things uh, that need to be communicated more than once a month. So that's well, and, and one of the things that, that, uh, that, that I think is also true about online communication is uh, you really you can't fake it. Uh, either you've got something to say or you don't because there's so much out there that either you're relevant and you're saying something important or you're just not. Yeah, it, that, that, that's right. And, there, the, I mean, there's this discussion now um, with some organizations, uh, health institutions, that if there's a paradigm around personalized medicine, a lot of us have read about, you know, every person will be uh, treated uh, in the medical system uh, individually, uh, a personalized approach to sort of pharmacological treatment and other treatments. We're hearing the same with online, so personalized fundraising, where the tools are becoming powerful enough that every single person is going to have a slightly different uh, set of content and interaction. So we're not there yet, but but I think in the same way that America talks about personalized medicine and moving towards it, I, I think we begin to move towards personalized fundraising. We're not we're not there yet, uh, but I think we're moving there. And so, Ted, when you're talking about people's demand for more more personal approach, more more personal information, a different way to give that online is spurred. I think that 
those sets of online technologies are moving us to personalized fundraising. And I don't want people to be afraid of that. I mean, clearly we'll have to be able to understand how to operationalize that, but but I think we're moving there. And and some organizations are already there where they're getting people to choose the way they want to be contacted, and then each person personalizes the way they're contacted. And we can only afford to do that online. So So that's a huge right. breakthrough, I think. Yeah, Mike. Uh, it may. It certainly feels like uh, 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 more than a lifetime ago that uh, you and I, uh, along with uh, Jim Greenfield, co-edited uh, the book Nonprofit Internet Strategies together, uh, which is still available and in a lot of ways very uh, relevant. Uh, but you wrote a, a very important chapter. Uh, in that, the future of e-philanthropy uh, in that. And I just want to remind you of something that you said because I want you to reflect on it because I think mm-hmm. it, it dovetails with what we're talking about right now but is is really maybe the, the biggest challenge uh, of 2011 for charities who are serious uh, about the Internet. And as, as you say here, and I'm just going to uh, quote you here uh, from this chapter, new technologies can help improve the efficiencies of capturing the first gift and making sure information about the donor is properly entered into the donor database. The 21st century will be the century in which we know more about our donors and can manipulate that data to the benefit of both the donors and the charitable organization. By yep. using this data in a structured stewardship cycle, yep. nonprofit organizations will be truly taking advantage of this new technology to build better relationships online and offline. Isn't yep. that the big challenge of 2011 uh, is e-stewardship? I think so, it, it, unequivocally. Again, to go back to my original point about the focus on the donor, that it, it, it's all about the lifetime value. It, it's all about an ennobling and beautiful kind of path from entry to the organization to uh, the ultimate gifts, you know, legacy gifts and planned gifts. And so we're only going to get there cost effectively and we're only going to get there properly if we use and collect information along the way um, that, that gives people that, that sense of control and love and, and interaction with the nonprofit. And we can do it better than we've ever done it with the technology. Uh, so the tech is there. Um, I, I think we just need to be able to, you know, share that information between departments. So, for example, you know, you think about a cancer-related organization in any country, you'll have the annual campaign people collecting information uh, in the DM program. They may have some single gift online that goes into annual. A separate department is all about plan giving. A separate department's about middle giving. A separate department's about events. And there's just no way we're going to be able to steward those people to to ultimately make a, a major gift or a plan gift unless all, all of the different databases or all of the different data sets are not coordinated in one place. And, you know, online is just going to be like online was the central destination 24-7 uh, 10 years ago. Now, now I think it's going to be that central data destination. Um, and, but we're not there yet. We're not there yet, and 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 again, I I, I want to uh, uh, quote you again because uh, I think it's helpful for folks to know where uh, this information is and where they can go uh, to get more of your thoughts. And in the book Internet Management for Nonprofits, which you and I co-edited, or which you authored in, and I co-edited. Uh, with Steve McLaughlin, uh, Jim Greenfield, again, who's our guest on the show uh, next week, and Philip Geyer. Uh, you wrote, uh, uh, again, uh, a wonderful uh, chapter, as you always do, on multi-channel fundraising. And, and I just found your conclusion uh, to be very interesting. And, I, and, and, of course, this book came out earlier last year, uh, which means you've been working on it for a little while. And I, I'm wondering if you'll reflect on what, what you've written in terms of has anything changed in uh, in the, the last year or so? Because in your conclusion, you start off uh, rather uh, tongue-in-cheek here where you say, it's all clear as mud, which I'm <laughs> gathering not very clear. Uh, the idea of combining online and offline fundraising to make more money and improve donor relations has not been definitively proven. 
The start of this chapter revealed through a huge giving study that many direct mail and and web donors stay in their channel, never leaving, and after six years of giving, continue to give the way they did at the start. But the waters are muddied when you realize that many direct mail and web donor programs have remained in separate silos for the past six or seven years, and the evidence the donors stay in their channel is part constructed by the walls that we as organizations have created. So what comes first, Mike, in this muddied waters, chicken or the egg? I mean, the silos are there. Let me ask this in a different way. Are we our own worst enemy? Absolutely. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. You know, people in organizations want to keep things simple. Right and sim- simple in a good way, meaning I want to do my work and I want to go home <laughs> and see my kids. And so, you know, if we've used traditional channels to create a, a traditional structure that meets our goals, right, that the board or senior staff set out, then then I'm just going to follow on that same track, right? I'm going to I'm going to create a, a a channel environment where there's no valid or no interesting reason to 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 go over or no value added reason um to to choose different channels at different times um so you know there there's for the donor the traditional donor there's there's a safety and a comfort in you know the 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 tax receiving and the thank you letters and the specials in a traditional direct response program and so so we we've created that now i think there's enough change uh in people's consumer behavior so ted i i think where the pressure is coming from uh on the nonprofit sector and the way we've constructed things is the fact that donors are commercial consumers and i i i think the commercial world is creating a consumer expectation of uh flawless cross channel uh customer service i so i i think our donors whether they're younger middle aged or older are getting used to choosing all of those channels now the commercial sector has enough resources that they can invest and properly structure and properly staff and properly test um that customer service model integrated but we we're going to have to be forced to imitate that because I hear from lots of people. Gosh, when when I when I buy a plasma TV and something goes wrong, you know, he, here's my seamless cross-channel experience uh, with with the commercial agency, and I and people more and more turning over to the nonprofit and saying, I want the same experience over there. Um, but what so do charities being, do? I mean, what, what do they do today? Where, as as you are pointing out, and I absolutely agree with you that you know the for-profit sector and the expectations that are made on the internet do continue to ratchet up the expectations of uh, for charities. What do charities today do to communicate and make sure that expectations are fair? Uh, you know, the fu- the funny thing is, Ted, that. That a lot of nonprofits are using all of the channels. They're using telemarketing, but it's over there, right? They're using email marketing, but it's over there. They're using direct mail, but it's over there. They're doing pick up the phone and talk to the donor or go and visit them, but it's over there. So they're already using them, but they are in different places, and and there's no integrated perspective together. And there's lots of the you know when when the stakes are low the politics are high so you know in commercial agencies where there's a lot of money at play um the stakes are high and people get together and they work their stuff out but sometimes in nonprofit organizations the stakes are so low that people just do not get together and and cooperate right they politically they they stay distant and separated so someone's going to shake that up and and how what do you advise to our our listeners today in terms of how do they shake that up because i think you're absolutely right uh it, but it's, it's sometimes it's very difficult to succeed by being they're a lone things. voice they're practical things to uh, getting people around the table right so we talked about senior buy in but it's also getting department get just getting people to sit in the same room another is very practical donor survey 
right? What, what are the expectations of the philanthropic consumer? Ask them, right? What do you expect from us and how do we take care of you, right? And then there's empirical evidence to drive, uh, you know, if you're going to get 10 people in a room from different departments and you survey your customers beforehand, uh, the writing may be on the wall and uh, in the survey that people need to do a better job of cooperating. Yeah, and I think that's that's a real key, and that that's what I share uh, with my clients and audiences that that I that I talk to, uh, is it's really about getting people together and asking what do they want the outcomes to be, what what's not working, what do they wish they could do more of, uh, and it's generally more communication, more understanding, more education, more outreach, and then bring the tools of the internet integrating those into the things that they do offline as solutions to those issues as opposed to the way that sometimes they get uh, presented as just sort of cool new tools that wouldn't it be fun if we had a Facebook page because everybody else does too. Yeah. Um, and the CEO is looking at that and saying, okay, well, where's the money? Yeah, and I, you're, you're totally right. I, I think that's the one thing that is there, – there's a fadism still um, with, with online tools – and uh yeah it it kills me to see you know people would invest money uh to bring in powerful new tools before they've done what you just described or i described sort of a collaborative process uh you know uh talking to donors and different constituencies and and looking internally and 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 being prepared to accept an investment in technology i think there's a lot of us who are just investing in the technology and then figuring things out and that can lead to lots of disappointment and uh uh just not the path we want to go down mike we have uh, an email question from maureen in beaverton oregon um, mm. and she is asking uh, what you think about facebook as part of an overall program uh well i i I think there's a power in Facebook uh, that's coming uh, around uh, games, uh, the gamification of uh, uh, of both Facebook and nonprofits participating in that. So, um, you know, how two or three things. So that's one thing I would want you to think about: that how, how can you use. Um, Facebook, simple Facebook games to communicate mission and uh, build constituents. Uh, to go back to its day-to-day -day use, um, it, it, it's it's about stewardship. It's about brand building. Uh, I mean, it, right now it's it's not about raising flat-out dollars. I I think it's about connection uh, and and connection to mission. So. I think Facebook is a wonderful place to have like-minded people find one another who believe in certain values and, and all share in the belief of supporting a certain organization. And so for you, uh, you, you need to think, if it's a place where like-minded people come together, um, how can I stimulate them together? And how can I get them to stimulate uh, action and giving together for the organization. So we haven't seen that happen, but I th it's not about getting something online, uh, asking everybody to make a $5 donation and and then calling it a day. I think it's uh because people come together collectively, you can see others who believe in the same thing. How does your organization create uh is it pledge-based challenge? Is it some kind of cooperative uh, action through that Facebook page that brings all of these people together. So creating what I, I call collective effervescence. How do you get them all frothy and 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 raising money for you? I, I think that's where we need to go. Yeah, well, I, and I agree with you. I think that that what's important about uh, the the message that that you're bringing there is how this becomes part of an overall communication strategy of exciting people and providing them information where it's relevant to them. It's not that there's a, a, a single silver bullet. If you're on Facebook, you're raising money. Uh, in, in fact, if, if that is your sole strategy, you're probably not raising a lot of money. Um, but how does that dovetail and integrate into an overall plan? And I think that that's where, for for a lot of uh, a lot of the listeners, and and maybe that's where Maureen's question uh, comes in here is, how do I start weaving all those things together uh, if that is in fact what I'm supposed to be doing? 
Yeah. So so for for some organizations it's it's the channel. So on Facebook, you know, call this number or here's an event. Uh challenge other members uh on this page. Um so so that kind of cross channel uh explicitness on the Facebook page, getting people to do things in the real world, for example, uh with other online tools. I, I think that's one thing that she needs to explore. What do you think about LinkedIn? Where 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 is LinkedIn in an overall strategy? Boy. Um Never used it myself. Uh, okay. No, no, no. I have. Maybe a bit of an unfair question. But for, but I, I actually, my, you know, just for our listeners, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll tee up because I've mentioned this on the show before. Uh, is that right now? I think LinkedIn is far more important to the average nonprofit organization than is Facebook. Uh, yeah, and yeah, that if you I, have limited resources and limited time, I would put more effort yeah. into LinkedIn. And the reason for that is is because that's where the business and foundation community is. So yeah. I'd say they're not on Facebook, but it's a, a more serious approach to building that internet trail of knowing what you're talking about. Have to agree, Ted. When it, you know, it, if I think about LinkedIn as a strategy uh, or a tactic for a nonprofit, then sure, on on in the area of corporate fundraising. Uh, Interesting. Uh, in, in the area of, of foundation connection, absolutely. Uh, beyond that, uh, I'm waiting to be inspired. Right. Well, and, and I, I agree with you. But what is inspiring you today? What what's actually what's getting your attention on the internet today? I I think it's using online um, to build huge, interested, engaged. Uh, Advocates, activists, information seekers uh, who are not donors, and then using multiple channels to convert those people to single or monthly gift by referencing their multiple interactions online. So the, the one thing you and I have learned, Ted, is the online can grow huge files, huge files, and huge could be relative. It could be a 1,000 in your community. It could be 10,000. It could be a million. Um, and, and then converting those people through another channel, often the phone. Uh, and it, It's the new acquisition method, I think. I think that the old way of renting and buying lists of people who give through a certain channel and then using those lists to ask and try to find an extra 1% or 2% of them who will give to you, that old way of acquiring people is uh, it's not being replaced, it's not being usurped, um, but we're just seeing this this two-part sort of online finding and inspiring and then another channel converting them as a as a powerful new way to build constituents whether that's kind of Gen so let me, X, Gen let, me y, let me just ask you so so are you saying that the the most powerful strategy right now on the internet for uh for charitable organizations uh is in prospecting and and that the internet is is becoming a powerful tool there uh or is yep. it in and of itself a a fundraising tool is it more of a prospecting tool to drive huge volumes outside of emergency it it's not a tool in and of itself right so in emergency time or what what you and I would call peak public awareness time charities can drive huge amounts of self-directed donations online but outside of that sort of peak public awareness opportunity um you know running campaigns that get people to let's say it's a Facebook game and that Facebook game allows you to kind of uh, protect the forest and it's connected to an environmental organization and you find 97,000 people playing the game and you ask through proper opt-in whether you can be contacted by the organization so and then call them and convert them there's a fellow Don Kasuth in in New York who helps UNICEF and he says you know even with on, with online if you're not on the phone, you're not in the game. <laughs> that that if we don't connect these channels together, um, we're just not leveraging from a fundraising perspective the the true opportunity. Yeah. 
Well, you and I definitely agree on on uh, on that point that it's only through integration, it's only through um, creating strategies that the internet is going to uh, to work for you. But what's also, I believe, undeniable is that there is no way to afford, there is no way to reach out to the kinds of audiences that even an average charity needs to engage to be successful without having the internet be part of that strategy. Yep, agreed, agreed. Mike, uh, before we we uh, take that, we do have uh, another uh, question here. But before we uh, take that, I do uh, want to answer one of the questions that was posed uh, in the Green Nonprofit uh, Organization's uh, website newsletter, uh, and also at the top of the show today. I did mention to those who are listening today and maybe have joined us today because of the uh, postings from Green Nonprofits. There is an opportunity today and next week uh, to win a copy of the Nonprofit Guide to Going Green. The way that you do that is that you will actually enter into the running in two different ways. You can either go to greennonprofits.org and register for the newsletter. In doing so, your email will be entered into the drawing, which will be announced. Uh, we will announce the winner next week. If you're already receiving the Green Nonprofits newsletter, have no fear. All you have to do is email me at tedhart at greennonprofits.org. That's tedhart at greennonprofits.org. Everyone who enters in those two ways will be entered into the drawing, and we will announce the winner next week on this show. Mike, it's uh, hard to believe that so much of our time has, has gone by, but I do <laughs> want to get another question in here, uh, email question that comes in uh, from uh, Amanda uh, in uh, Atlanta, Georgia, um, and she's asking specifically what does she tell her boss uh, to get her boss to understand the Internet? It's a broad question, but it sounds oh like Amanda's got a, a, a bit of an uphill climb. Yeah, uh, you know, you you have. I think one thing is to talk about uh, personal usage, and and then bigger statistics. So, so I think explaining to this CEO um, how people in their personal lives use electronic media to to stay connected to family to 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 do whatever they need to do needs to be connected and you you may want to ask that CEO or sort of dig around and feel out you know who close in their lives uses electronic media uh, and and see how someone in their family can kind of open them up to that so that's one uh, two uh, i go back to this idea of dramatic oversimplification so you know i i think you can show on one or two pieces of paper why both fundraising numbers and nonprofit numbers prove that you need to be on there and you need to be investing in it. So I'd be more than pleased if if that person wanted to connect with me and I'll send them the one or two pages that dramatically oversimplifies what, why the Internet's important. But, but I think to, to see if you can take that personal approach, find someone in their lives that they respect that, that uses it, and that might that might explain things a little more easily to them. Mike, um, is is there an example that you can point to of an organization that's learned the lessons, has put together a strategy that maybe you've helped them with that is a particularly good example for charities to look at? Um, yeah, it's up and down. But I, I, I think of uh, Amnesty uh, International that we've helped here in Canada over – I, I think almost 12 years online, where where they they started, and when they started, we educated the board, ed, educated senior management about uh, again that 24/7 role um, that that the internet would provide over 10 years ago, and then uh, we've slowly integrated uh, uh, e-commerce technologies into the different ways that they raise money, whether that's connecting to DRTV or uh, their street fundraising or the single and monthly gifts that they get uh, that connect to their DM program, uh, and then uh, really beginning to hire internal staff, uh, so building internal capacity to be able to grow these programs that are both online and integrated has been key, and, and now they end up, you know, it, it, it's a large and growing part of their revenue it properly integrates to all the ways they that that they do uh that they raise money and and they built internal expertise over the years. Mike, so amnesty is yeah. uh, is good 
example for uh, today. Unfortunately, we're running out of time, so I'm going to yep. thank you for your time today and thank everyone for joining us here on the Nonprofit Coach. We'll be back here next Tuesday with the AFP Wiley Radio Show and Jim Greenfield, who is our very special guest. Mike Johnson, again, thank you for joining us today, President and Founder of Hewitt & Johnson Consulting. Take thank care, you. everybody, and have a good day. Bye now. <laughs>